Hello. Hello. Is this the famous television star, Ben Chapman? Uh, this is the uh, famous barista, Ben Chapman. I think you're thinking of a different Ben Chapman. I'm pretty sure you're now a celebrity. That's why you were uh, you were pressing your clothes before coming on this audio podcast, because every detail matters now. It's true. Every detail matters. I, um, I, I uh, slicked back my hair. Uh, I could tell. I could. I could see. I could see it from here over the uh, over the audio. It's uh, your voice is different when your hair is like that. Well, it's true. I've. Uh, I'm wearing matching shoes, like <laughs> like matching like, shoes. Like they, they match each other. They match each other, and they uh, they match my shirt. Mm. Um, you know, because Don, you gotta. I mean, you gotta take care of yourself uh, when if you want to. Um, like I tell my kids, um, look good, feel good, feel good, play good. Well, you and, know what? I, you know what I've started doing. I've, uh, is this? Are we? Is this a spot? Are you doing? Tell me. Can you tell me about a product you like? Uh, I've socks, Ben. I like socks. I've I've started I've started wearing lucky socks because apparently um, uh, every day that I wear them, uh, we're not destroyed in a nuclear holocaust. Ooh, <laughs> so it's so, working so far. Good, but I mean, day day the nuclear holocaust happens, that's the last day you wear socks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of socks, do you know, uh, you know, our, our friend, uh, speaking of our, socks, can we talk about, uh, if the red socks are going to be in the Super Bowl? Oh uh, yeah. And <laughs> the, and the white socks, uh, are they, are they playing for the, uh, NHL uh, title? Uh, Hey, do you know, you know, this, uh, you know, this guy that we know, Tom Ford, I know Tom Ford. Yeah. So Tom Ford, not Tom Ford, the director, not Tom Ford, the, um, designer who are both the same uh people not tom ford uh as in the jay-z song tom ford right and, but, and also uh, not tom fort who is somebody i know from boy scouts that you don't know yeah different different I guy know him. no uh tom ford uh from uh that you that you might know from facebook and and also from uh ecolab mm-hmm. uh posted a picture yesterday on facebook of um a senator from the great state of north carolina um, whose name is Richard Burr, and uh, I believe they're at the uh, at one of those uh, fancy airport lounges together. And Tom took a very inconspicuous picture of uh, Richard Burr uh, not wearing socks, wearing loafers and no socks. Whoa! I know. Which you know, you know my thoughts on that, right? Have we have we talked about this? I don't think we have, or if we have, I, I have forgotten. Well, I um, friend friend of the pod, uh, Michelle Daniluk. Uh, I've, I've shared this with her multiple times that I don't trust. I don't tr- trust a person who wears loafers and no socks. There's something about that look that I just don't trust and I can't put my finger on it. Uh, and I won't, and I won't put my fingers on it. Um, but, uh, there's something, uh, it's something about that look that's very, very Southern and non-trustworthy. And here it is. The, the Senator from the great state of North Carolina, no socks, are, are no you, socks, and loafers. but now are you saying that you were not a fan of Miami vice? Uh, time and place, Don. Time and place. I am a fan of Miami Vice. Uh, I think uh, loafers and no socks in the um, mid to late '80s was great. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, my 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 thoughts have changed uh, slightly since then on uh, not just the socks issue, but but multiple issues. I was also in the in the mid uh, '80s. I was also um, a proponent of uh, WWF, uh, then called WWF, and, and now called WWE Wrestling. Right. Am I, and you, you, know why, not, you know why they had to change their name, right? Because of, the, of the wildlife fund. Exactly. Because they're, they're wild. 
Um, yeah. So I also, I mean, back in the Miami Vice days, I also really liked wrestling, and I'm not, I'm not so much into wrestling anymore. Huh. Um, so, so anyway, no socks uh, for the for the great uh, senator, and two pictures on Tom's timeline timeline of um, of it with the comment: with all the money he takes in from insurance companies, you think our senator Burr could afford socks? Socks. <laughs> Oh, Tom Ford. Great job. I spent time with Tom Ford this weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah. We, uh, we went to, uh, we, we hosted, uh, a, a group of, uh, retailers to talk about food safety, uh, uh, on Saturday. And then we, uh, all went to a basketball game together. So I got to hang out with Tom. That's so, nice. That's go. nice. I it was. Hanging out with Tom. Me too. I like, uh, I like that he, he notices no socks and, and now that he knows I'm going to let him know about your lucky socks. Thank you, Lucky Socks. Yes, thank thank your Lucky Socks. Hey, speaking of famous people that we've seen in airports, I was once in uh, the uh, uh, lounge in uh, in O'Hare, and uh, Chris Christie was there. The Chris Christie. The Chris Christie. I, I think. I think. Oh, also, speaking of famous people, I've met places, and by met, I meant seen. Um, I was once on a train with uh, Joe Biden. Well, were you going to Delaware? I I was I was coming back from Washington, I think, and he was going home to Delaware for. Uh, uh, but I didn't. At that time, he was not the vice president, but I had seen him before on like the Daily Show, I think, and and I, mm. I recognized him as somebody famous, but I wasn't quite sure who he was. Uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, so that was uh, I've, I've I've been in an airport lounge with Chris Christie, and I've been on a train with uh, Joe Biden. So. You know, pretty much my life is complete. <laughs> and you need to be on a boat with like uh, Justin Timberlake to get the trifecta. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's is it. That, is that what it is? Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, and that's a that's a horse racing term. You know, we uh-huh. talked about that last time. <laughs> Thoroughbreds. Uh, the horse. The horse. The ponies. Um. So my, my little my little pony. I think is what you're thinking of. Uh, my little brony. I think is what you're <laughs> what you're trying to. Um. Hey, so so you know what? I got I got some stuff. I, mm. I, did you did you notice that not only well you didn't know that I read a bunch of stuff, but did you notice that I populated the uh, our, our file folder there with is, things that I wanted to talk about? There is a lot of stuff in there, and some of it I did not put there. So uh, ah. so yeah, boom, uh, boom. So okay, I want to tell <laughs> I want to tell you about a product I like, Don. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but they don't sponsor the show. They should. Um, they sponsor another show, and that's why I bought the product. Oh, uh, is that so? That's I mean, that's how this advertising thing should work. Is it is it Dippin' Dots? Uh, it is not Dippin' Dots, <laughs> but I want to get back to Dippin' Dots, and and also they are the ice cream of the future. Okay. Uh, uh, so okay, so so I've been um, I've been trying, struggling to mm. get really, really, really fast internet at my house. Oh, because well, struggling in in a so we we now have. AT&T, Max, whatever, U-verse, uh, internet, and it's um, it's like 18 megabytes per second or something. Mm-hmm. It's called like, you know, Freedom 18 or, or something. Um, but, <laughs> because, uh, but Because nothing says freedom like a relatively slow internet. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, freedom to, to wait. Um, <laughs> you have all the, all the time in the world to do what you want while you're waiting for something to upload or download or, or load. That's, um, that's what you call freedom, Ben. That is freedom. That's freedom. That's what the forefathers were thinking when they wrote about <laughs> the Bill of Rights. That's what Al Gore was thinking when I, he invented the internet. 
He invented the internet. I think it's what the 20, 29th, 42nd amendment, which is, uh, thou shall have, uh, uh internet, <laughs> internet speeds, uh, that are, uh, deplorable. Um, and, <laughs> um, so, so anyway, I've been, I've, we, we, we have the, the Google fiber is coming to Raleigh. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So, except they're coming very slowly, which is ironic. <laughs> yeah, and so, that's, that, that's in fact is truly ironic. Liter- yeah. that, that is literally ironic, Ben. It is. It is. Um, so, uh, so, so maybe 18 months ago, um, they started dropping fiber all over our neighborhood. And I was like, here it is. It's coming. Google's, Google's dropping the fiber. And then AT&T uh, sends me a message saying, hey, uh, guess what? We're, we're going to jump in on this fiber stuff, too, and we'll give you a really, really fast, like, 1,000 megabytes per second uh, fiber, and we can install it right now. And here's the – this is the backstory to why I don't yet have – um, very, very fast internet is because when they say we can install it right now, they mean we're going to come out when I ordered it uh, on January 9th, we're going to come out on January um, 16th and tell you that we need to call somebody else to drop a, another cable and and uh, drill underneath your driveway, um, which which sounds horrible, but it was very quick. And then, and then we're going to call you back to schedule another appointment. And then, um, that other appointment was supposed to be for yesterday. And then I didn't, um, they didn't show up. And so then I talked to a very nice man on the phone who then knocked $40 off of my AT&T, uh, uh, a bill for this month because I've been waiting for 20 days for really fast internet, which was a, a nice surprise. Anyway, uh, in the, I, I, I've been researching the sort of like how to take the best advantage of really, really fast internet. And I uh, invested in a mesh um, uh, wireless internet, uh, which I put in the to the Dropbox, this thing called Eero. Eero. Do you know about Eero? I, ben, I am, I am literally talking to you now via Eero. Um, no way! No, totally. I, I went, I jumped in uh, before the new year. And not only that, uh, my son, um, who lives in uh, Denver, the son who lives in Denver, um, they had uh, Wi-Fi in their apartment, and they, it wouldn't reach to their bedroom. And I'm like, hey, I think I've got a solution for you. Let me, uh, let me buy you an Eero as a Christmas present. And so I've had, we have three uh, at the house here, and his apartment, he has two. And uh, my main reason for going with it was to kind of improve the upstairs internet. But also yeah. I was really hoping to get – internet in the backyard and it's uh, because it's i mean it's not not this time of year but in the nicer months of the year it's nice to sit out there but the old uh, internet barely reached and now uh, we have a euro router that's uh, like right by the window that that faces into the backyard and it's it's a bit of a stretch but but it actually uh, it actually works it's not as fast as in the rest of the house but it's good enough for you know surfing the net or doing whatever um, you know hanging out in the backyard so yeah i am a big a uh, big fan of the euro it, it's uh yeah i i um ordered it last week because i was like you know my i had a, a uh airport extreme for a long time that that i was like using for backup and and it also was located in in this part of my house that was i couldn't get really consistent um uh wi-fi in, on my front porch uh which is a place that i like to sit when mm-hmm. it's when it's so and and it, and so I like improved my 
um, my speeds like without cho- like choking by switching everything over to five gig- gigahertz. But then when I did that, I lost you know being able to go out into the backyard. So anyway, I like did all this research, um, and same thing, and, and nailed on or landed on Eero and hooked it up, and it's 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 been awesome. Um, but it makes me like do you, do you like look at the app a lot to see how many things are connected to your network i i I have from time to time i haven't looked lately we we were having i was having some issues um with uh with connectivity on the on the on the upstairs floor and actually it's we it's it what we have is when when my office was redone uh we had the contractor drop um some uh uh cable in the wall and so actually my downstairs era which is connected to my the the router from the uh verizon um, uh, plugs into the wall, and then upstairs the Euro the Euro upstairs plugs into that that same thing. So it's a hardwired connection, and I'm actually mm. in my office now. I'm actually connected to that, so it's not even via Wi-Fi. But of course, the router is sitting here pr- projecting Wi-Fi. But uh, at some point, well, periodically the dogs will knock the uh, the one by the the back window uh, off, or, or or something will happen, and and I'll need to go like on. But yeah, the app is is really it's very it's very nice. It's very uh, Apple-y, as uh, as people have, have called it on various podcasts it looks like a product that if apple made wireless routers it would it would look and feel like uh, the euro so yeah yeah good, good stuff i love the i love the app short, short answer i love the app yeah the app's awesome i like find myself looking at it even when i'm not at home to be like how many devices are currently on my network and and because you know we've got a bunch of ipads and a bunch of apple TVs and a bunch of computers. It's like always somewhere in between nine and sixteen, and phones, which is like made me think, wow, we we're drawing a lot of wi- wireless type stuff. Um, that's probably why I was having so many problems with choking. Um, my internet, not me. Yeah, um, we have, is, we have. But I do want to bring it back to food safety and uh, choking is a food safety concern. Yeah, cur- <laughs> currently uh, twelve devices. Um, uh, including our uh, Apple TV. Uh, apparently, uh, my Apple Watch is on Euro. Um, yeah. Uh, my uh, time capsule is on Euro. My phone, my iPad, um, the TiVo, uh, our printer, uh, my wife's iPad, my uh, MacBook. Uh, hmm, there's a couple MacBooks there. That's interesting. Oh, our wireless scale is on is on there. So yeah, a lot of, uh, lot of things sitting there on the uh, on the network. It's yeah, really nice. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that and was by the, the way, um, they don't sponsor the podcast, but no. if you go to their website and you buy it and where it says, uh, how did you hear about us? Put Food Safety Talk Podcast. Um, oh, and uh, maybe, maybe they'll want to sponsor the show. I didn't even think about that. Um, <laughs> I bought mine from, uh, from the uh, Amazon, and it came uh, next day, and it was nice. awesome. Nice. I think I bought uh, mine anyway. directly from the company but uh, because I wanted to use a coupon code from a podcast to uh, you know, share the job. love. Good job. Anyway, it was – yeah, so Euro, this, this has been my – in my quest of making things faster, um, it's been it's been awesome, uh, and now I can't wait for when when I have really really fast internet, which was supposed to be on January sixteenth, and then was supposed to be yesterday, and then is now apparently going to be next Monday. And I've been assured by uh, the nice customer service person that they will be there, they will show up, mm. and I I in my passive aggressive nature, I said. How can you be so sure? You said that they would be here today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's that's a, that's a legitimate question, Ben. <clears throat> and, yeah, and and he said, "Sir, I'd like to remind you that I just knocked forty two dollars off of your bill." And I <laughs> so said, ease up, buddy. Ease up. Yeah, Back I was like, he's like, Back pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, take take a twenty to thirty percent off of that. There. Well, but here's the thing, like. 
he, he shouldn't say stuff like that, right? He I know. He shouldn't say stuff that he can't guarantee, and you are perfectly right to call him out. And yes, it was nice of him to knock the money off, but but don't but don't say like that somebody will be there unless unless you are literally going to drive a truck you to my house, you know. And anyway, I mean, it's uh, it's just anyway, whatever. People, huh? Am I right? Oh, people. Yeah, exactly. Look, at, that's the that's the world that we live in. Uh, where <laughs> here's first world problems. I'm complaining about my fast internet. It's not oh, fast enough. Oh, speaking speaking of first first world problems, let me complain. Actually, it's not doing it now, so I'm hoping that it, it fixed the problem. But I got um, uh, Retina uh, external display um, to go in my in my home office. So I went to Apple and I got one of these new. Um, LG displays that, that Apple is selling yeah. and I really love it except that today it's rainy and I think I think that there is a um I don't know I don't it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with the monitor but because it was working fine before but today especially it just kept like losing blinking out and it would like like it was losing power, um, and then of course it would cycle like the monitor. It would be like you, you unplug the monitor, and so the monitor would go off, and then the display would flash over to the laptop, and then it would flash back to the monitor. And it was it's very. I don't know if you ever tried to type on a, a monitor that periodically uh, stops working uh, to no. t- to look at it. It's, it's hard, um, and but. So so anyway, that's my first world problem is that my beautiful new Retina display doesn't uh, doesn't always work. Uh, but I, like I said, I think it's just because uh, the the it's rainy today and the uh, you know it's the, the we got fast internet, but we have old old electricity. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that it's it's your your electricity from the, from a long time ago. It's from uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, electricity. Exactly. So it's really yeah. It's old. It's it's colonial electricity. Exactly. It's uh, it's uh, you know what <laughs> what. One twenty, one twenty one, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Sometimes it only takes one hundred and five. You know. Yeah, one hundred five. One. Yeah, magic one hundred five. Seventeen, seventeen, seventy six. Uh, you know. So, oh man, um, Facebook's bumming me out, Don. I watched CNN yesterday while I was uh, waiting for AT and T, um, which which I thought was only going to be like a diversion for like uh, forty five minutes, and it turned out to be three hours, and it bummed me out. I, I did not have. Uh, I, I actually, uh, um, in in the uh, old school version of um, um, Homeland Security on threat levels, I was like at threat level critical yesterday on my. I, I had totally overdosed on uh, political stuff, so so I was. It was. It was not a good. I didn't have fun. It wasn't a good. Well, thing. and you know, I, I've, I, I've this. I've been. I've talked about this other places, and 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 yeah, we've talked about on other this. on no. other podcasts. No. Are you- <laughs> Okay, good. Other 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 places. I uh, so um, I go to a um, I go to a support group. Uh, I'm I'm involved in a support group for people with uh, depression and uh, bipolar because I know a number of. Uh, people with, uh, with that suffer from both of those, and uh, I have regularly com- complained at uh, at uh, this uh, support group that uh, the internet is making me crazy, and, and Donald Trump in particular. And and I don't know what to do, right? Because I feel like I was thinking about this this morning before the podcast. Like, should I? I could just disconnect, right? But then I right. feel like I need to. I need to be somewhat engaged, and I oh, and I, I said I shared. It's like Saturday, man. Saturday was fantastic, right? Because everybody that I knew was was either knew somebody or was posting about the all the marches. I so many people I know were marching or supporting the marchers, and it was fantastic. And then Sunday, there's a bit of a letdown, and then Monday we're you know, oof, and Tuesday, and you know, here we go, right? It's just here we are. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> 
So yeah. I don't know. We shouldn't we shouldn't talk about it too much, except uh, I, I really do want to talk about Dippin' Dots. Yeah, I want to talk about Dippin' Dots too. Okay, so <laughs> all right, so so I. Um, I have you had Dippin' Dots? I have not ever had Dippin' Dots. They don't really look that good to me. They're great. Like okay. I'm, I'm totally not. And again, not Dippin' Dots does not sponsor this podcast. They should. Um, they should. Uh, so Dippin' Dots are like a family favorite, or at least a kid wow. favorite in my in my family, because they are um, at the PNC Arena, PNC Center, where the Carolina Hurricanes play. They've got some kiosks with Dippin' Dots. And uh, and uh, uh, NC State basketball team plays there. So, at, like when we go, it is um, it is a very kid friendly ice cream thing because they I don't know like what the you know there's all this um, uh, they're frozen and they don't melt very well. So my kids can eat throughout an entire period of hockey this like big um, seven dollar Dippin' Dot jug. And not get ice cream all over the place, and huh. and they they're it's they're, it's actually it's ingenious. It mm. is as as much as uh, Sean Spencer says they are not the uh, food of the future, ice cream of the future. They are Sean Spicer, not Spencer. Mm. Um, so so why we're talking about this, right, Don? Um, <laughs> it's it is food. It is about food. It for is. whatever for whatever reason, uh, 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 Donald Trump, the uh, White House press secretary Sean Spicer, really has had this like uh, vendetta against Dippin' Dots for like years, like seven years. Well, and in in defense of of uh, of uh, Spicer, uh, you know, it's <clears throat> this is the this is the thing about the internet, Ben. You you can write stuff and it never goes away. Um, he had a bunch of. Um, raging tweets years ago, and, and it doesn't. <clears throat> it's not like he's. I wouldn't say it's obsessed, but he certainly has said multiple things uh, uh, against Dippin' Dots, right? So, but but it's not like it's not like he, it's not like other people that can't control themselves and 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 tweet insane stuff every day, right? <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> not like yeah, not like not that like at other all. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, not like the world of Twitter that we that we have come to know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the best I hadn't seen this until you put put this in the uh, um, in, into our notes file today. But um, so yeah, uh, Spicer had a bunch of tweets. When you're in this public forum, people are going to look back at what you say. Um, he was upset about um, uh, you know, different things, especially um, my my favorite in 2015, where he complained if Dippin' Dots was truly the ice cream of the future, they would not have run out of vanilla. And he tagged the Washington Nationals baseball team in apparent reference uh, to a shortage of vanilla Dippin' Dots at Nationals Park. And then uh, um, yesterday, the CEO of uh, Dippin' Dots, um, Scott Fisher, posted an open letter to Sean Spicer from <laughs> Dippin' Dots. Gotta gotta love the open letters. Oh, so good. Dear Sean, we understand that ice cream is a serious matter, and running out of your favorite flavor can feel like a national emergency. We've seen your tweets, and we'd like to be friends rather than foes. After all, we believe in connecting the dots. As you may know or may not know, Dippin' Dots are made in Kentucky by hundreds of hardworking Americans in the heartline of our great country. As a company, we're doing great. We've enjoyed double-digit growth in sales the past three years. That means we're creating jobs and opportunities. We hear that's on your agenda, too. We can even afford to treat the White House and press corps to an ice cream social. What do you say? We'll make sure there's plenty of all your favorite flavors. Yours, Scott, CEO of Dippin' Dots. Oh, so good. 
<laughs> that is pretty nice. But, you know, and I, I had, you know, actually from, from, from a food perspective and from a food technology perspective, this is a really interesting product because it is made by taking ice cream mix <clears throat> And exposing it to liquid nitrogen, I learned I learned this from uh, Wikipedia, and we'll link to the Wikipedia article. Um, but <clears throat> the company has had some trouble because because you you make it in liquid nitrogen, but then you have to keep it at minus four. You have to keep it below minus forty. Now you might be asking yourself, does he mean C or does he mean F? And in fact, <laughs> in fact, minus forty right. is is the, where those two scales cross. And so all you have to say is below minus forty degrees, right? And so, um, and and because you have to keep that product that cold, guess what? A normal freezer won't work. And so this is actually a huge infrastructure cost. And that's just, this is part of the reason why I think that they've been uh, relatively successful. Um, at places like arenas where there, there is a commitment to having something innovative and you can put in this specialized hardware. You're not, <clears throat> you're not going to get every uh, supermarket um, you know, to, to install a specialized minus 40 freezer to keep this stuff, right? So you have to have this specialized hardware. So um, anyway, really, uh, really interesting from a technology perspective, um, I, I think. I, I like them. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I like never, I've never had them. I think there's a, I think there's a, a thing at the mall that sells them, but it might, but it might also be there's also a Dippin' Dots clone product out there um, uh, that that uh, that that is also available, and that may have been what I've seen uh, at the mall as well. So I, but I've never had them. Like I said, it just doesn't. Uh, like when they first, well, first of all, they arose into my consciousness after my kids were grown. I mean, they, the company existed, but I don't think it was really popular. Um, and then it's like I don't know. It just doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't look appetizing. But I don't know. I'm, now that it's like part of, uh, we've talked about it on the podcast, and 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 we've we've sort of pontificated. Uh, I, maybe I feel like I, you know, it, my my opinion wouldn't be complete unless I'd actually tried them. So, I, I think you got to try them. I'll, I'll tell you the um, there are two that are my favorites. There's only four flavors that we get uh, here in in the great state of North Carolina. Uh, vanilla, and I've never seen it run out. Mm. Um, ch- chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your standards, and then uh, cookies and cream and mint chocolate. Mm. And, and I like both of those other ones. Like mm. I like the the um, latter uh, two. The mm. Sam Sam really prefers the cookies and cream. Jack prefers the mint chocolate. So mm. depending on who's made the decision, they're, what they're going to buy, uh, I often get to eat um, some of both of them. Mm. And they are absolutely a no mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, ice cream for kids my age. It's it's actually really it's ingenious, and for they kids prefer it for kids my age, <laughs> kids kids that are thirty eight and, <laughs> and and under. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, anyway. Um, I I I disagree. They are the ice cream of the future, just like kickboxing, uh, sport, sport of, of the future. future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, did I tell you that I wa- I rewatched uh, Say Anything? Did we talk about this on the podcast? It was like a Saturday four or five weeks ago, and uh, I was just uh, going through some HBO, and the boys were playing with a friend, and Danny was at a show or something, and I was like, oh, I'm going to see what's on. Oh, this is a great movie, and I rewatched it, and it's fantastic. Okay. Well, there you go. Check out Say, say Anything. Say anything. Uh, immortalized in uh, many, uh, many uh, skits of various types with uh, the wonderful scene where um, John Cusack uh, plays music uh, to a lady friend he's courting. 
uh, Ioni Sky. Sure. Um, no, no, not let's let, let I need to stop you right there. Um, <laughs> the yeah, <laughs> Diane Court. It's not just any any lady he's courting. Uh, played by the the great Ioni Sky, who uh, for a short time in the '90s was married to Ad Rock of the Beastie Boys. Oh, how about that? Uh, and, and immortalized in uh, the song, I think it was uh, Sure Shot, um, in in the line of Ad Rock's "Down with the Ioni." Uh, and uh, something uh, about she's the cheese and I'm the macaroni. Okay, what, which is great. That's uh, it's a way that I, I like to describe Danny as she's the cheese and I'm the macaroni. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh dear. So yeah, don't uh, don't don't mess with those '80s movies and, and '90s references, Don. You uh, wow. You know, yeah, yeah. Whew. I'm just gonna That's back right. away, man. I'm just backing away. It's all cool. It, I, I appreciate you uh, backing it up there. <laughs> um, so so I want I want to I want to do a little bit of follow up before we completely uh, leave the non food safety realm. Although I guess we sort of dipped into it a little bit. Um, oh uh, no, there's a huh? <laughs> we dipped it we dipped into it. <laughs> oh boom, man, Don, this is uh, this that is was, a, uh, a show of puns. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even mean to say that. I didn't even mean to like do that uh, that little uh, that little flip there. Um, you have mentioned in the past. You have mentioned a show called Pod Save America, I believe. Yes, yes. I uh, I listened um, because they were privileged enough to do the very last interview with uh, President Obama, and they did. Uh, so I did listen to that episode. Uh, it's highly recommended. Um, yeah, it's. Um, uh, I, Good, uh, well, well worth listening to. I, I think. I thought it was a great, great interview. It's sort of uh, fascinating to to pull back the curtain on on Barack a little bit with people that he knows. Yes, right. That, like that was they're... that was the most interesting thing. It's like here's a couple of guys, like just like joking around with the president, um, uh, and it's because he knows them, right? He's they've worked on his staff, and uh, yeah, it was just it was very. Um, I just I, I liked it. It felt very authentic. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. A um, uh, little, little bit of follow up. I mentioned uh, last uh, last episode that I was going to be doing this um, science cafe talk at the science museum in in Raleigh. I think did I mention that? I think you did. I think so. I think I did. So I did it, and then I did uh, um, a uh, secondary talk uh, during the science Olympiad, which is like a national competition. Um, that, uh, were, or, uh, I think it's middle school and high school kids go and write, uh, uh, tests and then have to build things and, and they get, they can compete on a whole bunch of different events. Um, and anyway, it was, it was cool. I, I got to give this talk in, in what, um, what we, um, uh, what we have, what, what they have is like a globe that has three levels of seating. So like uh, you're on this stage, but it's like, I, I kind of felt like I was in the globe theater where people at the top were like looking down on top of me. And, but if you look up to talk to them, the lights are in your eyes. So you can't really see the heck, the hecklers up there. Um, <laughs> But I got some good questions, including um, one uh, from my son who attended the talk um, and wanted to be part of the the festivities. And so he asked me about the foods that I eat and don't eat for food safety reasons. Mm. It was which was a great uh, great uh, um, uh, question. And I told him about um, raw milk and sprouts and raw oysters and uh, and so and it it made me go into my uh, cilantro uh, talk on the food that I do eat a lot of that is probably the riskiest thing that I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, so there was that. Uh, but I also um, had um, uh, in, in, in the um, first talk uh, that I gave at the Science Cafe, it was streamed on ABC's news um, uh, Facebook page or, or something. And uh, um, after the talk, the, the host, uh, his name's Chris, he came up to me and said, um, hey, uh, you know, we stream all these things and we never get any comments on Facebook. And your talk had a whole bunch of comments. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he goes, yeah, but I think they know you because it's like <laughs> it's like way to go bed. And I was like, oh, uh, and it's because uh, my, my wife, the lovely Danielle, um, did uh, share the link and, and a whole bunch of people on Facebook like my uh, my wife's uncle Steph uh, commented on it from uh, Aurelia, Nor- uh, uh, Ontario. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, yeah, that was, it was weird. So, yeah, it was I was popular for about 20 minutes, but with my family. That's OK. <laughs> Yeah, it's all right. It's good. Because oh. <laughs> you're not popular with them any other time. Right. Yeah. Just every once in a while, it's nice nice to have um, – uh, to be popular. Um, so I tweeted something yesterday that I wanted to talk to you about. And we had a, a very quick conversation um, over the over the Twitter. Okay. And it's about uh, pineapple, cord pineapple. Oh, yes. I, I definitely want to talk about listeria and pineapple because this was one – where I was trying to do something else, um, but again, I, I sort of was got sucked into Twitter because this was like I just felt like you know the thing about Twitter is I, I think it, it sucks you in because you feel like well if I don't comment now, it's it, the moment will be gone right and so yes. you have to kind of jump in and, and 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 do stuff which is which is good and bad um, but but it's bad because it took me away from doing something else but again you know I'm a grown up and I can choose to do or not do what I want I suppose so but yeah let's talk about let's talk about pineapple. Okay, so so here's the here's the thing with with pineapple. Um, I you know we we have this uh, we we used to have this thing called Barf Blog, and uh, and but we still have this podcast, and um, and I still uh, run this this thing where we collect news. And so I was sitting here going through Google alerts for various pathogens, and, and came across this recall uh, from uh, actually a week a week and a half ago, I guess, or now or last week. Anyway. Uh, Lunds and Byerly's, which is a grocery store, um, has uh, pulls uh, fresh cut cored pineapple after voluntary recall. And this is a um, a, a grocery store in uh, Minnesota, Minnesota-based grocer. And so the the article is um, they pulled it uh, because of voluntary re- recall from their supplier. Minnesota-based grocer says the product was recalled because there's a potential risk for listeria. Fruit has an expiration date of January 20th or earlier. Customers can return the pineapple or throw it out. No illness has been reported. So, you know, nothing like super notable about this recall. There's no illnesses. So it's great. But it got me sort of thinking of this is a different type of recall. This is for a product that is not a not a whole product. This is one that has, you know, a, a lot of water activity, but also a, a very acidic environment. So I was like, you know, let me look, let me do some digging on this because I think this is, it's, it's a different, it's a different type of recall. Cause I'm not sure about, I, I just want to know more about the risk, right? Like, like, yes, there is a risk that it, um, there's a potential risk for listeria. There's a potential that risk that it's contaminated with listeria, but what the, what's the public health risk like? And, and if I was someone who bought this cord pineapple, which is something that I do buy, we, um, I don't. I don't like to core my own pineapple, um, and so I, 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 pineapple is one of those cut fruits that that I I do typically buy. 
Um, and so I, I did a little bit of digging and uh, came across a paper um, from uh, Journal of Food Science in 2015 from Feng et al., where uh, this is looking at the growth potential of Listeria monocytogenes and Staph aureus on fresh cut tropical fruits. And um, so from uh, you know from the from the abstract, and then I, I went and read the um, the paper and found some uh, some supporting documents. But I'll, I'll read from the abstract here, saying. Um, uh, the population of uh, Listeria monocytogenes declined significantly on fresh-cut pineapple at all temperature, which I think is a sick, it's all temperatures, mm-hmm. uh, indicating composition of fresh-cut pineapple could inhibit the growth of uh, Listeria monocytogenes. However, Staph aureus was still able to grow on fresh-cut pineapple at, at storage temperatures. Um, and so, you know, they, they evaluated, uh, you know, what's what's the what's the potential for, for growth. And then going into... Um, the the paper itself um there was uh a nice table and i will uh find this it is uh no sorry a nice figure mm-hmm. um which is uh doesn't have a number figure two figure two figure two behavior of monocytogenies inoculated on a fresh cut patea uh fresh cut mango fresh cut papaya and fresh cut pineapple held at 5c 13c um, and 25C, um, and the 5 and 13 were for six days, and 25C for four days. And so, you, you know, without for those who are driving in their in their car right now, we'll explain these figures. Um, they they have uh, a nice. Um, oh, now it's just timed out on me. Uh, anyway, they start with a known amount of an inoculum, uh, and got uh, about a one and one one and just over a one log reduction. Um, over over time, uh, you know, over over these days, um, right? And I, I'll say um, yeah. the, uh, less of a log reduction at the lower temperatures as we would expect, right? So you see about a little more than a one, maybe maybe a one ish, one to two log reduction at five degrees, but at twenty five, um, because it doesn't support the growth, you see a one, two, three, four, four log, four, three or four log reduction over over four days, which is. <clears throat> Maybe a little counterintuitive if you're not l- used to looking at data like this, but basically my rule for explaining this to people is as you raise the temperature, whatever is going to happen happens faster, right? So growth is going to happen faster if it supports the growth, but guess what? Death is going to happen faster if, if it does not support the growth. And so that's exactly what, what these data support. Uh, slight uh, decreases at 5, more decrease at 13, the most decrease at 25. Right, right. Um, and, and, uh, you know, as it's pointed out in the abstract, significant reduction, mm-hmm. but as, as, you know, uh, as you pointed out on Twitter and, and where I want the dis- discussion to go to mm-hmm. here is significant. Yes. But, um, practical reduction, right? Like is, is a one log reduction over a six day period at five degrees Celsius enough risk management, uh, or maybe that's not the right way to put it. Is it, is that, um, does that matter in making a risk management decision on on recalling this product? And do you recall it because you have known an amount of uh, information that there's listeria, or do you recall this product because there's a public health risk, or are those two things the same? Are they different? All that kind of stuff. And and that's that that was I mean really that's the story of why I posted uh, posted this because. It's it's this one is more than just a, a like a one off recall that would go into recall net like this there, this is a, an interesting type of product and and it and it goes to this question of should companies be 
recalling products that don't support the growth of listeria um, in a cut fruit you know setting like this is there is is the um, does the cost of that recall outweigh the benefit so I want to put I want to throw that to you so let's take that last question first does the cost of the recall outweigh the benefit no um, does the company have any choice no <laughs> they they, right. they have to recall the product because in this country, we do not differentiate between foods that support the growth of listeria and foods that don't support the growth of listeria. We consider them equivalent in terms of risk. Now, maybe you can nuance it a little bit and say, well, for meat products, um, USDA FSIS has some rules that put you under, under different restrictions depending upon whether the food supports the growth or whether it doesn't, whether it contains inhibitors that are added post-process, et cetera, et cetera. But from an FDA perspective, um, and, and again, we've, we've had, we've had people, uh, say that they oh what happened speaking of people coming on the show wasn't some more we supposed to have a oh, guest yeah. on this show oh my gosh we're supposed to have two guests oh well we forgot you <laughs> uh, didn't but, really set that up did we oh well. no um, Vicky, uh yeah and and gordon we'll uh we'll reach out to you and, and do this at a different time well <laughs> well i'm sure our colleague at the fda cannot come on the podcast because um, apparently, people in the government are not allowed to talk to anyone anymore. Um, and I'm well, sure, I'm sure that even even before um, the the current um, regime, he wouldn't have been able to, um, not without uh, some sort of thing to disguise his voice. But but our our Canadian colleague who works in the food industry certainly uh, could come on the podcast. And apologies to him. I, I don't I don't think he listens. But apologies to him um, uh, for for us dropping the ball on that. But but the bottom line is. That in the United States, you don't have a choice, right? If you're an FDA-regulated food and you have listeria, you have to do a recall. And, but but I, again, and I, I made my opinion clear, and, and I, 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 will, I will continue to, to argue with anybody that, that wants to argue. I don't think it's good policy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what you have to do. So you do it, and, but, but, but I think, and I think that actually the question that you asked that started all this off is exactly the right question. Do the costs outweigh the benefits? And I think very clearly the answer to that is yes, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and, and I would say you know, I, I gave you this, like, straw man argument, right, or, or question even. So the costs outweigh the benefit. The benefit is you don't have regulatory action against you, right? Mm-hmm. Does, mm-hmm. Do the costs outweigh the public mm-hmm. health benefits? Yeah, the costs definitely outweigh the public health benefits. Do they outweigh the benefits? No, the benefit is you get to stay in business. Well, um, and, that, and that or, is a, or that, yeah, yeah, no, that and that's that's an excellent excellent point um, because you're right. Uh, of course, there's a reason why the company did it because they want to stay out of trouble with the FDA. Right, and and it's and it's an interesting one because I don't think we have a good like. I don't think this changes, and we we can go back to a couple episodes ago when we talked about ice cream and milkshake makers and um, or mixers and, and bluebell, and and this is all well and good for most of the population. There's probably a very very low risk, but if you've got this type of cut fruit, cut uh, fruit product that's now ends up in someone who's high risk for listeria's hands and they consume it. And then we have an illness and a death. And this is why we have, you know, we don't make the differentiation between, um, you know, foods that can support the growth or, or not. And what I was hoping to see in the papers, and this I actually found a couple of papers. This was the best one out there that, that, that I liked. It, it matched my question. What I was really hoping to see Don was like a five log reduction, 
or a three log reduction, or you start at five logs and it gets down to, you know, in, in five days, you're going to have this, this drop off that, that would give a better argument to a pineapple company or a, um, or, or a grocery store saying, you know what, if this, even if there's a bunch of listeria, it's going to die out in a, in a short amount of time, but that's not what the, what the data shows. The data shows that, yeah, you're going to start out, you say that we start out at five, it's really only going to get down to four if people are handling this in the way that we're asking them to handle from a storage standpoint. And, and then even if they do, you know, if we look at B of figure two, where they temperature abuse this product um, over over six days, you're still getting, I mean, a little more than a one log reduction. So so the so the data even to me says it's not it's, it's obviously not a kill step, which is what you need to present to somebody to make the argument that they're that that the that the risk is is managed in a, in a way similar to how we handle other other foods. And so while the public health risk is, is probably really low um, for those one or two individuals that eat this product um, over the, you know, I think it was like a, a, a five day period that they recalled it with um, that that might be susceptible to, to listeria, it is a real risk. Like it, it is, you know, it's 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 hard to argue on the other side of not pulling it off. Um, because of that, from an FDA standpoint, right? And that's probably what our FDA colleagues would 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 suggest. Well, you know, I, we could do if we knew the numbers, we could do some calculations. Um, uh, and again, the fact that temperature abuse reduces risk, I, I think you could make a case, a pretty compelling case, that there was the the the, the likelihood of anyone getting sick from this was indistinguishable from zero. I, I, I could I could make that, or I would <clears throat> I would try to make that argument as uh, from a risk assessment perspective. But uh, again, you know that's that's not the policy, right? The, the policy and the regulations are that you have to do a recall. But but I, but again, I don't I think there was there was no essentially the, the the public health risk was indistinguishable from zero, and that's me speculating based on the concentration, which is probably not known, right? Like they, I'm sure somebody did an, an enrichment assay and, uh, and found listeria and that's why we're doing the recall. Um, but I'm sure that we don't have numbers, but even if we did have numbers, I bet that those numbers would be low and we could do again, dose response calculations. And yeah, that's uh, right, right, right. It's essentially zero. Yeah. Hmm. Well, well, there you go. But it's not, it's, this is not your normal everyday uh, recall because of that. Like there's so much that we could talk about on this. Agreed. Um, Hey, so so I just this is breaking news. Mm. I just sent you something. I don't know if you saw this this morning. It was it was posted on BuzzFeed. I just got someone just texted this to me. Oh yeah, I have. I have this has actually been uh, in the. I've seen this um, uh, actually a couple times now over the last uh, little while here. Yep. Um, did you know that USDA scientists are, have been put under a lockdown under Trump? Quote, starting immediately and uh, until further notice, the department's main research division will not release any public-facing documents, according to an internal memo. Uh, yeah, I have, I have some real questions about what does that ex- actually mean. And actually, um, I, won't, I won't tell the listeners who it was, but I actually talked to a USDA ARS scientist um, on the phone yesterday, and we talked about doing research together. So, um, oh, well, that's you're not publicly facing, Don. You're the you're in the swamp. <laughs> but what is that? So, th- this, I don't know. This includes, but is not limited to news releases, photos, fact sheets, news feeds, and social media content. So, 
does that mean that they're going to take down their websites? I mean, right? I mean, so they're going to stop issuing news releases? I mean, that I can understand, but... Does that mean they're going to take all their photos off their websites? Are they going to, they're going to pull down all the existing fact sheets? It makes it makes no sense. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Um, uh, this there's like some I don't know. I'm I'm going to equate this to the uh, um, restaurant inspection world um, a, a little bit, and and so we we've talked you know lots of times about. Um, posting restaurant inspection grades and and how posting those grades or results or whatever we want to call it, whether it's a grade or what the criteria is, it doesn't matter. It, there, it serves multiple functions. One is um, it might tell you what uh, you know what somebody saw at a specific time. Over time, you can build up a case to say this place either gets um, food safety or doesn't. But the the philosophy. Um, behind it and that what has promoted it in multiple jurisdictions, especially in the U.S., has been these things are done with public money. And as a taxpayer, I kind of have the right to see what those inspections look like, right? So so by by sort of squashing the research and, and you know, you and I have, um, have both collaborated with, with ARS, um, USDA, Agricultural Research Service um, folks, um, by by sort of pulling that back underneath like wraps to say you know we're not going to show anything um it, you know it, it, it although it's public you know public stuff we're we're not going to put anything out on on results or whatever it i wonder i wonder what this is like what whether this is hey we have to assess all the stuff that's going on before we want to put anything out there or if this is a climate change issue, or if it's you know something else, but but it, I mean, the the philosophy that that I have is that if it's if it's done with public dollars, just like us, right? Like whatever we do with our with our state and and federally funded um, salaries is you know it's public it's public knowledge and, and 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 it should be it should be out there. So I don't I don't know I don't know well, I don't maybe I'm maybe I'm not seeing it the same way. Well, and the other thing that I I, I keep. I mean, my, I think my opinions on the current administration are clear, but I think that we as scientists need to try to do our very best to be objective about this. And so my question would be, what did Obama do when he first took office? What did Clinton do when he first took office regarding communications from agencies? And we've seen a lot of buzz around hiring freezes. And I saw somebody point out on the internet, well, you know what, there was a hiring freeze under Clinton, and there was a hiring freeze under Obama, right? And so, so I think we have to be very, very careful to say, like, what is what is a normal thing for a president to do, whether it's Democrat or Republican, right? Versus what is currently going on, and is there an exception to that? Like, and again, just as an example, and I, I couldn't find the um, couldn't find the photo, but it's rather so. There's there's a photo that's been making its way around of the the uh, the new 
the new president and uh, his wife walking next to Obama and his wife uh, walking down the steps. And you can see that the, the, the new, the new president and his wife look absolutely shell shocked and the, 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 the um, retiring or leaving president and his wife look elated. But there's also a similar photo that somebody put side by side of the Bushes with the Obamas. And guess what? The guy that's just had the weight of the world placed on his shoulders looks shell shocked, right? So you yeah, have, right, so, right. And, 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 and Bush and his wife look carefree. So I think, and that pointed out to me in a very uh, emotional, you know, image way. You know, I mean, we we have to differentiate between what is normal and what is what is not normal. And I think that the f- a fair comparison would be again, what would what did similar what did what similar or dissimilar activities did um, uh, uh, did incoming Democratic administrations do? And again, with the hiring freeze, I think that seems to be standard, right? Like right, the, right. until the new president can get a handle on what the budget is, you know, it's just common sense to put a hiring freeze in place. And and again, it's, it's happened with Democrats and Republicans. Now, with respect to this particular issue, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say because I haven't seen, I haven't seen a comparison, right? Um, but certainly, uh, yeah, I, and I, yeah, I don't know. That's, so that's, that's kind of my two cents. And I, I absolutely don't want anyone to think that I'm I'm, I'm defending the current administration. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to like say, let's, let's try to, let's try to not let our emotions completely get away with us. Let's, let's try to look at things as scientists, right? Our job is to look at things rationally and look for data and let's, and let's examine the data and let's stick, let's keep our discussion as much as possible focused on, on, uh, on data and facts and what's known and what's provable. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that said, I just, I'm still going to rage on social media from time yeah. to time because I, I feel like I need to. I, I just uh, like I you know I just have this issue of if it's if it's publicly funded then then there's a duty to to communicate what's being done to somebody to the public right right, right? And, like that that's the tenet and and my and again I'll come back to my original question what does this mean what yeah right, right. Are, are there no photos well okay so what about existing photos what yeah well i guess it says starting immediately until further notice um no new photos no nothing new but so but old stuff is okay apparently i i don't know it just it it just doesn't uh it, yeah it has me scratching my head for sure yeah well and and like i don't know <sighs> so i have uh you know i, I do uh i, I I don't know what to say. Anyway, um, you know, you know, you know what, you know what I will say, Ben. What will you say? I'll say um, hand size matters. Hand size matters, Don. <laughs> uh, um, and, and let me and let me tell you why, Ben. Um, because there was a uh, so I uh, I am a I, I don't know if I'm still a, a member or not, but I, I definitely follow um, the th- things that are put out by the uh, American Council on Science and Health and. Although I have to say they they are attempting to make their posts a little more hip to the young generation, and I, I can't say I really like what they're doing. I think they're being a little bit cavalier. But uh, we will we will link to a uh, a story pu- published on the American Council on Science and Health webpage saying you aren't using enough hand sanitizer. 
Um, and, and the article says everybody carries a little around these days. Those little hand sanitizers can certainly come in handy. But new research uh, – okay, and then the, 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 the uh, rubber dime size drop in your hands. Uh, most people uh, hardly do that, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. New research shows that the amount that most people – the amount of hand sanitizer that people put on their hands is hardly sufficient. Even a dime size drop is inadequate. To properly coat your hands, you need to apply about three mLs of sanitizer, more than half a teaspoon. And and this post was was prompted by a, um, a peer reviewed research. So so props for that. Uh, public. It was a brief report that was published in the American Journal of Infection Control. And uh, so what they what they did was that what these researchers did, and it's it's a nice little experiment. Uh, so I'll read from the abstract. It says visitors of an infection prevention and control conference performed hand hygiene with one, two, or three milliliters. Uh, 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 of ultraviolet light traced alcohol-based hand rub. And then they measured coverage of the palms, the dorsums, uh, and fingertips uh, using digital imaging. And, and it says that palms of all hand sizes were sufficiently covered when 2 mLs was applied. Uh, dorsums, uh, I guess that's maybe the backside, of medium and large hands were never sufficiently covered. Um, palmer fingertips were sufficiently covered when two or three mLs was applied and dorsal fingertips were never sufficiently covered. And so it's a little bit, it's, I think it's a little bit inflammatory, right? And, and again, yeah. my, my point is, and, and I posted uh, a comment on the, uh, American council on science and health uh, website to say, well, really all I, all you really have to do with hand sanitizer is to get it to the places on your hands where there are microorganisms that you want to control, which is – and also I didn't put this in my, in my comment, but where – and where they're going to transfer from. So really it's about the fingertips, right? I mean, yeah, okay, so I applied hand sanitizer. It didn't get bacteria on the backs of my hands, but guess what? I'm probably not going to cross-contaminate something from the backs of my hands. It's going to – the action – you know, the fingertips is where, where, the, where the action is. So um, – uh, I, I don't know. Do you have a perspective on this? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I agree. The two things that, that jumped out on me on this, um, and you already mentioned one on fingertips, that it, it wasn't it wasn't scored, right? Like it's it's palms and, and dorsums, and and so it doesn't it doesn't tell us really um, the the big question, which is about risk. The second is, and they they allude. So how this research was done was. Um, dur during the International Conference on Prevention and Infection Control, 2015 in Geneva, Switzerland, conference visitors were invited on a voluntary basis to perform hand hygiene and check the coverage of their hands. So I, that, the, as someone who does observational research, as someone who, who's in this, uh, you know, uh, actively in this world of what do people do in, real, in the real world, I've got problems with the approach. Mm. One, one is... Are the people who go to this conference really average people? No. Prob probably not. No, right? they're not. Yeah. They're not normal, Ben. They're not normal. No. And um, they, so, they, but, so they address that a little bit, and, and, but I, I don't think they really get to the thing that I have a problem with. So they say in their limitations, um, the hand hygiene technique of participants was not assessed. 
All, and although we can expect that most visitors to the International Conference on Prevention and Infection Control are familiar with the WHO hand rubbing technique, we can't draw conclusions of the sequence of, uh, of hand rubbing. So they, they, I think they looked at it as, well, most people here should know what to do. I think that you could look at it as people in this organization who are, will maybe will underuse um, the hand sanitizer because they are maybe using hand washing as a more protective um, step anyway because of the uh, the information that's out there, hmm. right? So so it, you may get a different response for I don't know um, middle school teachers if you were to assess theirs because the, you know anecdotally they are using a lot of hand sanitizer to replace hand washing where my guess is this group because they are in the world of infection control probably use sanitizer to supplement hand hand washing which is different right like they're right. they're using different amounts because of that i would but my assumption um second thing is if you tell people and this is the way i read it it doesn't talk anything about um uh, deception, which is something that we commonly use in observation work. But if you tell a bunch of people that we're going to check the coverage of their hands, like, and that's what it says, it's a voluntary basis to perform hand hygiene and check alcohol-based hand uh, uh, rinse or hand rub uh, coverage of their hands, that might impact how much alcohol-based hand rub they put on their hands. Right, right. So like, you, what you what you're saying is that the the best experimental protocol would indicate that you 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 tell a white lie, you deceive them, right? Because you yeah. don't want them to know why you're asking them to do this. Right, right. And and I and I would do something like, hey, we're um, we're testing out this new uh, alcohol based hand rub. Um, what, do you like the smell of it? Exactly. Yep. Right. Like, like, and then, and then afterwards say, oh, hey, you know what? We were really interested in the coverage. Uh, you know, thanks a lot for telling us about the smell. Um, could you still be um, uh, part of our, 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 um, our study? So, so I, I don't know. I, it, it's, it, it's a, it, 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 it's some nice, there's some nice data there. I just don't know if the approach is, um, and, and, and they're, they're careful. I mean, in the, in the paper, they don't, they don't say, um, this is um, uh, this is um, representative of uh, you know of the uh, of what happens in the world, but the um, you know the the accompanying article does talk about everyone carries it around these days. This is what everyone looks like. Well, and 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 my again, and I you know I mean American Council on Science and Health. I've had a lot of respect for them because they have been, you know, on the side of science and and you know fighting the good fight with respect to food additives and and focusing on the science. But lately, they've taken a turn that I just really don't like. Right? Like like the headline: "You aren't using enough hand sanitizer," and it's the amount is inadequate. It's like, well, no, you're you could be a little bit more nuanced, right? Let's talk about the science. Let's talk about that. This might be a concern. It just doesn't. It doesn't strike me as the appropriately nuanced and conservative approach that uh, an organization that has science in its name should be taking. I guess that's, that's, you know, now that I think about it, that's really what, what's bugging me about this is it just, it just, it just sounds like a Buzzfeed article, no offense to Buzzfeed, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. you're looking for clicks and, uh, and I just, I don't, I don't think that's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably not the best way to, um, to approach, like to force it through. Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. Um, 
So what else do we have in here that I want? Oh, hey, did you know you're you know you live uh, you know you live close to that big city, right? Um, uh, Newark. Yep, to Newark. No, the 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 city. Oh, the city, Philadelphia. The city. Yeah, the Philly, Philly. Uh, do you know if you can go to this uh, place in, in New York City? <laughs> oh, New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. The big city. The big city. The big apple, we call it. Yeah. You can you can go to uh, a, a, a bakery or a not bakery uh, called uh, Cookie Dough. And it's cookie. It looks like Cookie Dew, but it's got a it's got a line over the O to tell you that it's a it's a long O. I don't know what that line's called. Um, I think it's a but, accent aigu. <laughs> No, it's not. It's a, <laughs> it is not a accent aigu. Umlaut. It's, is it, it's an umlaut, is, man. They're not. It's a umlaut that someone is connected. I don't know what it what it is. It's a. It's something phonetic. I think it's a long um, O. Yeah, it is a long O. And so this thing called cookie dough. They have a whole bunch of foods that are made out of cookie dough, and they are not baked. Um, and there's an article um, in uh, somewhere yesterday. Conbini. Yeah, something like that. Grub Street? Uh, Combini. Com- wasn't Grub Street, but uh, yeah, Combini that says, uh, go check this place out, um, eat. And they talk a little bit about the safety. So, in, uh, reading from the article here, normally eating raw flour would be likely to give you a tummy ache, and reading raw eggs can expose us to E. coli, the bacteria behind salmonella. We're going to come back to that. Oh, my God, uh, Ben. <laughs> it's like it was written by someone that didn't understand anything. <sighs> I love I, E. coli. The bacteria behind salmonella behind is salmonella, like, I, yes, I, oh it's it's God. like that's the that's the man behind the man. Um, uh, so, but Don, there are no such risks at cookie dough. A pasteurized egg substitute and heat treated flour effectively eliminate any danger of foodborne illness. Okay, well, that's that's vaguely right. That's vaguely right. It's interesting though, right? Like we are now in a situation where. Um, if there's a cookie dough restaurant like five years ago, do you think that that line do you th- – first of all, do you think that anybody's even talking about it if we didn't have this flour um, you know, 0121 uh, outbreak uh, last year and you know, coupled with the Nestle Toll House uh, raw cookie dough outbreak in 2009? But, I mean, people – People have been eating it. You know, we we rehashed this uh, a while ago that FDA is trying to take all the fun out of cookies by telling people to only bake them. But here you go. A restaurant, bakery that opens up says, okay, eat all the raw cookie dough you want, and we're going to take care of that E. coli that's the bacteria behind salmonella by reducing risk. I thought this was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, they get get the important things right, even though they get the basic facts wrong. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. yeah, the E. coli, the the e. coli, and so this this erupted into some Twitter uh, conversations <laughs> yesterday that I had, like, um, uh, who can keep all of those viruses straight from <laughs> nice. <laughs> to which I responded, all the great viruses and phages, uh, and and people kind of people people seem to like that that quote of uh, this, the the E. coli, the bacteria behind the salmonella. Um, so, well, well, I, I, while we're, while we're talking about fun stuff on the internet, I don't know if you get these, I get probably, um, several requests a day, um, uh, regarding conferences, but this one, this one I thought was especially interesting. I will, I will read it to you. Donald, are you sure you understand post nineties? 
Have you heard the popular ideas burst out in Fresh Air Beverage Innovation Contest? They are named as School Babe, Summer Pepper Water, and Good Morning, My Love. Do you know what kind of drinks would be selected and preferred by the post-90s? Or what is the difference when this younger generation joins in the beverage formula developing process? Yes, they will define the next drink be themselves. <laughs> this is amazing. This is, this is, uh, oh, and in case you were wondering, School Babe is a wonderful combination of ginger and lemon, which helps warm middle energizer to dispel cold, stimulate appetite and digestion, and eliminate toxin and beautify skin. Um, soft breathing is good taste with zero sugar, having it's having effects of producing saliva, slaking thirst, relieving a cough, and nourishing lung. <laughs> it lets us breathe softly and live healthily, healthy. Um, and then finally, uh, the last one, a functional compound juice, which is de-alcoholic and hepatoprotective and is anti-fatigue because of extra VC in the formula. <laughs> so I, uh, I really want to go to this conference, which is in, uh, Hainan Northern latitude. I think I don't, I, I'm not really not sure, but there's a QR code. I can yeah. click on the QR code. Oh my yeah. God. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, so Isabella wants me to Isabella and uh, moat want me to go to the food and beverage innovation forum, um, which is somewhere in the Asia Pacific, I think. It's in high, high North latitude, high oh, yeah. North latitude. So anyway, um, yeah. So that was, you know, most of these conference invitations are just really annoying and stupid, but, um, and we won't, we won't link to this because I don't want to give them any publicity, but, um, this one, I just thought this one was, I got me to read it, got me to talk about it. Um, but anyway, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so school bay, school bay's yeah. coming. Yeah. School bay. School. Yeah. Oh man. I think I might go to that. <laughs> yeah. Might go fresh air, fresh air, 2017. It, 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 as I was reading this, it was reminding me of, uh, um, space, uh, space balls. Um, and, uh, the air, I think there was some fresh air there. Uh, I don't know if it was 2000 and uh, do you know, you know, the, you know about that? You remember that in the movie Spaceballs? Yeah. Like it was all about air and, and people would, uh, Mel Brooks would open up, uh, the, a can of Perry air I remember and that. breathe, breathe the fresh air. I remember that. Yeah. That's a good, Spaceballs. that's a good movie. I think I should uh, be, I think that would be it. It'd be worth watching again. Uh, it's, you might actually want to check this out because uh, a, a quick Google of Spaceballs Fresh Air uh, gives brings up a nice article in Geek.com called Spaceballs Becomes Reality. Canadian company is selling bottled air to the Chinese. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you, I've been to Beijing uh, and they could use some fresh air there. Oh, man. So, so there you go. So it's uh, fresh air 2017. Sounds good. Um, so, so not... Oh yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, you you posted something. Uh, you, uh, you put put something here in into our notes. Um, that's back from 2015 from 538. That is about not even scientists can easily explain p values. Which, <laughs> yes. Which, which reminds me of an episode where you actually asked me to explain p values and I failed the entire test and I don't understand statistics. <laughs> it's so so. This is. Uh, 
Um, uh, an article uh, from 538 says p-values have taken quite a beating lately. These widely used and commonly misapplied statistics have been blamed for giving a veneer of legitimacy to dodgy study results, encouraging bad research practices, and promoting false positive study results. Um, and uh, it, it just goes through um, uh, someone who attended the inaugural metrics conference at Stanford, brought together some of the world's leading experts on meta-science or the study of studies. I figured that if anyone could explain p-values in English, these folks could. I was wrong. And it, it gives some really great uh, – there's some great video uh, to, to check out associated with this, uh, um, with this article. Now, did you – is there a backstory? Is there a reason why you put this in here? Something you want to talk about? If there is a backstory, uh, I don't, uh, I don't remember forgot. it. Yeah, because um, – and it may have been somebody linking to it. I think it – or maybe around this discussion about um, polls and um, – yeah, maybe that was what it was. Maybe it was something – you know what? I bet it was something that fi- – because there's another – I think there's another 538 article um, – on approval ratings, um, which is probably what they what they link to, um, and understanding uh, statistics and understanding approval ratings um, is is something that is in the news lately. So, but no, I don't I don't know why I'm I am very interested in in p values, and I do it, it they do come across my uh, my radar on a, on a regular basis. So, and I think the main thing that that my my message about p values is you need to report the exact p value. Of your study, so don't tell me it was less than zero point zero five. Tell me exactly what the number is, and then the lower that number, the more confidence that you can have that the effect that you think you're measuring is real. And let's let's not obsess over whether you're above or below zero point zero five, but just know that the further below that, the the more likely it is that your results were not due to chance alone. That's that's the that's the most important thing. I think that I, the message that I would like to get out there. Oh, well, that's a good, good, good message, Don. Um, you know, the other message that I want to get out there to all of our listeners, if, if you have a pet rat, um, you oh, might, you yeah. might get a virus. Um, and this is, this is something that is not from two years ago. This is something that is just only from a couple of days ago. Um, and again, we talk a lot about food safety on this podcast, but we do occasionally talk about animal linked outbreaks. And I thought this was an interesting one. So, uh, and so this is a press release from January 20th and, it, and I'll read from it. It says the U S centers for disease control and prevention confirmed Friday that pet rats are the source of an outbreak of, uh, soul virus. Uh, that's not like uh, soul music, uh, but like as in Seoul, Korea, soul virus infections in Illinois and Wisconsin, the virus has been confirmed in eight patients in an ongoing investigation. Um, and uh, so, and this is um, uh, the initial patient in the current outbreak. A resident of Wisconsin visited the hospital, uh, a hospital with flu-like symptoms. The patient was a home-based rodent breeder. I had no idea that that, that was actually a thing. That that could actually be a job or, or a thing that you do. But but anyway, so. Um, uh, so, so, uh, soul virus is a rodent born hantavirus. Um, so, uh, if you got pet rats out there, uh, be careful. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't mess with your, your pet rats. Hey, um, I, uh, someone, someone sent me a message a week ago about pets and about pet turtles. Mm. Um, so, so many, many places you can't buy a pet turtle for salmonella, uh, reasons, right? right? right. For salmonella. So, um, in, in North Carolina, there is a, uh, currently some legislation sitting at, uh, um, our state, uh, legislature that says, um, 
hey, you should be able to buy a pet turtle as long as you know that there are risks associated with that pet turtle. And, yeah, kind of like an interesting uh, situation. I think I believe it's uh, sponsored by the pet turtle industry. Uh, uh, not not sure. surprising, not sure. surprisingly, surprisingly or, yeah. or, or a home based uh, pet uh, pet turtle um, breeder. Um, but, yeah, so the I, I don't know where it's going to um, where it's going to get end up, but it's uh, yeah. So. So anyway, people like people like pets. And people like turtles, and uh, some people want to have more pet turtles, and to which I think that might lead to uh, more salmonella. <laughs> but so you don't think, uh, like, like again, this and this harkens back to so many conversations. You don't think that if people know the risks, like with raw milk, that they should be allowed um, to, uh, to 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 do the activity to have the thing. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I um, I definitely want people to have have that choice what what i i I don't know this one this one's a little um a little tougher because i don't know enough about the risks of salmonella and and turtles and what the um if we if we just had a whole bunch of turtles what what that public health impact um would be and what I what I do like, and what you know, I've talked about when it comes to raw milk, is I like not having a black market for raw milk. I like it to be regulated somehow, and I, I look at South Carolina as a as a great um, uh, model for that, where you can sell raw milk at retail, you can get it, uh, but you do need to submit, um, you know, you're due for an inspection, and you need to submit um, uh, some samples so they can be tested for pathogens. In, and I think that that turtle breeding is a little different, where um, you know it's it's not like we we have um, regulations for dog breeding, um, uh, you know, like where, where an inspection is gonna is gonna happen, excuse me, is gonna happen, and they're gonna look at disease control. So so I I, I like choice, but I, I, I I'm a big fan of choice, and I'm a big fan of disclosure, but I want to make sure that there is some. For the responsibility of being able to do that is is that it's not a fully unregulated process, and that's the. If I can find this legislation, it's it is really just a an unregulated thing where you have to provide that you know this this um, document to someone, and they have to sign that they understand that there might be a risk of salmonella for turtles. Right. Well. Well. While 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 you look for that, I, I want to sort of tie. Uh, uh, raw milk together with um, uh, politics, and and also bring in uh, a former uh, former guest on the podcast, um, and that is uh, an article uh, that uh, David Gumpert posted on his website um, from early January. The title of the article is "FDA Bets It Will Escape Coming Political Hurricane, Comma Targets Raw Camel Milk." And I'll read from the article. Uh, there's some good stuff, and you know, and and David David's. Oh, David's a David's a a, a very uh, energetic writer. Let's let's say um, I'm sure he <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't listen. Um, okay, so when government regimes change, the people with the best noses for where things are headed are usually the bureaucrats. They spend years, even decades, watching politicians of all stripes come and go, and they learn to read the tea leaves. Which actually reminds me of some other stuff I've been reading about whether the bureaucracy will save us from from uh, changes at the top, but that's a, that's a separate discussion. Um, but anyway, Gumpert goes on. Uh, right now, we are witnessing regime change in the extreme. We have a president who has threatened to eliminate huge agencies like those in education and energy and is preparing to carry out a major purge in the normally sacrosanct area of national intelligence. 
uh, blah, 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 more stuff, more stuff. Um, it is with this charged atmosphere that the wily operat I love this, the wily operatives within the dairy division of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration have determined that their place in life is secure enough they can renew at least part of their assault on raw milk. In the last couple of weeks, they have targeted a small Missouri farm that produces camel milk, accusing it of violating the federal prohibition against the interstate sale of raw milk. In the process, FDA has felt confident enough to declare that raw camel milk, until now a regulatory exemption, is illegal to ship in interstate commerce. And and actually, and it goes on from there. Um, but the interesting point is that that uh, you know that raw camel milk has not been regulated by FDA or by California Department of Food and Agriculture because it does not come from a hooved animal camels don't have hooves they have uh-huh. pads. they have pads and therefore uh, they are outside the traditional raw milk laws or regulations and so um, I, I I just I, I just thought the regulatory I, you know I I mean it's it's fun to talk about science and risk and stuff but at the same time I really love regulatory nuance, right? I love the fact that, that, that camels are excluded from the current regs because they don't have hooves. They have, uh, they have pads. Um, uh, that said, I think that, you know, raw milk should be raw camel milk as well as raw milk from other mammals, um, should be, should be regulated. <laughs> right, right. And give, give the camels some hooves. Why no. do we have to? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, they don't need, they don't need hooves. They just need, they just need to be equally treated under the law, Ben. No, uh, no yeah. exemptions. No exemptions for pads. Re- recognize pads. Yeah. Recognize. Yeah. Uh, so okay, I found the the actual uh, um, proposed uh, bill here, mm-hmm. uh, and and so um, the it, it says uh, it, it used to say that no turtle with a le- length. No of, turtle left behind. Yeah, no turtle left behind with with a carapace length of less than four inches shall be sold. Um, <clears throat> but it does not apply, uh, to turtles for institutions or educational, blah, blah, blah. If you do for establishments selling turtles as allowed by this section, the following information shall be posted or provided conspicuously at every display for turtle for turtles for retail style printed legibly on the sales receipt printed legibly on an information seat. Or a sheet. So one of these three things. And here's what the information needs to say. Caution. Children under five years old and people with weak immune systems, such as chemotherapy patients or those with HIV AIDS, should avoid contact with reptiles. These people can get very sick from a germ called salmonella that reptiles carry. Reptiles include lizards, snakes, alligators, and turtles. Wash hands thoroughly after handling turtles or material that had contact with turtles. Do not allow water from any other substance that had contact with turtles to come in contact with food or areas where food's prepared. Do not bathe turtles or clean their tanks in your kitchen or bathroom. And do not have close contact with with, uh, turtles, which would allow drug contamination of the mouth, such as kissing. (laughs) Well, my question is... Oh, I understand. So I understand that you don't want people to clean their turtle cages in their kitchen, but why not their bathroom? If you're, if you, yeah, that's where we keep the poop, man. <laughs> where, where we keep the poop? If if you're not going to clean it in your kitchen or your bathroom, where are you going to clean it? I guess outside. But I, I guess know. so. It seems impractical. Um, the germ. There's a germ called salmonella that reptiles carry. These include lizards, snakes, alligators, and turtles. Uh, also, this is a turtle rule, so don't don't. I don't know why the alligators are involved uh, in this. <laughs> um, so coming back 
to um, the poop room, the bathroom. Yes. Um, last week, um, since <laughs> last uh, week you took Tom. That, that I did. I did every day. Every day, dog. That's um, good. It's good. Be uh, regular. Uh, last week, I, I I was really fortunate to put on a, a workshop where we invited people in from. Animal interaction, petting zoos, uh, displays at science museums to talk about um, infection control and zoonoses and and about, like, allowing food. Because in North Carolina, we've had this history of a few outbreaks um, linked to these um, these events. Uh, famously at the State Fair um, in 2004, um, and then, which led to a law uh, called Aiden's Law. Um, this uh, little girl um, who um, who got really sick, and I'm going to check this. I think sh- she might have died. Um, and that law said if you are going to a state-run fair or state-sanctioned fair, that you will uh, have an inspection to make sure that you're following, um, you know, disease uh, zoonoses control. For um, for pathogens like E. coli and Salmonella and crypto, um, but there are all these. We we I'm really interested in this area, and we did a lot of digging over the last uh, last summer looking for these types of facilities, and we found that there are like 70 plus in our state that are under the um, guy not guys under the um, they're linked to agritourism where come you know spend some time. And and so we brought these folks together and talked about it, and we used it as like a gathering data uh, portion of you know what we do in extension, so we understand more about how they're cleaning fences and if they have hand washing signs and how they talk to their uh, participants and patrons. And I learned a couple of things. Don, mm. do you, do you know um, one that it's uh, commonplace with the participants that came? Um, to take animals from a farm setting, usually small animals, um, like maybe ducks or geese or chickens or maybe a, a, a baby goat or maybe a lamb and take them to like a, like a nursing home so people can interact with animals? I did not. I, I knew animals in nursing homes was a thing. I did not realize that those kind of animals in nursing homes is a thing. That, that gives me some concern. Interesting, right? Yeah. So – um, so, so yeah, it, it's, I don't know, um, we're, we're, we've kind of just said, okay, that's, um, s- something that we need to note and, 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 and look at, um, the, the second, which was, it was kind of interesting. So the second thing that, um, that, I, that I learned was there are lots, like, so I, I visited very few, animal interaction places and most of the ones that I've been to in the last uh, few years, especially as I've I've taken my kids there are in places where there are uh, lots of barriers between the animals and and the people. And, and in fact, I, um, on Christmas Eve, I went to this one place that we like to go on Christmas Eve because they have all these lights and they have an animal display with goats and pigs and and this is the first time that I noticed that there were two levels of barriers. Like there's a rail, and then there's a fence inside the rail, so that so the animals can't even touch the rail that my kids can put their hands on. Um, so that was like that. That has been my um, 
that, that, that's my experience right now. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the people that we invited said, no, 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 no. We, we absolutely encourage people to get in with the animals hmm. and, and be part of, uh, of it. And so, so it was, you know, it, again, kind of gave me like, okay, that's something that we need to, to look at. How do we, how do we address that? How do we manage these, these risks? And I have, I come at it from this perspective of, I, I want people to learn about animals. I, in fact, I'm, I'm good with this animal contact as long as we can manage those risks in a way that, that are, um, that are effective. And I don't know exactly what that means. Like there's not a whole lot of great research in this area. So, so we're going to do some, some stuff over the next year, uh, to try and investigate it. But the group came back and said to us, like we had this round table discussion about what is it they need from us and what they wanted, which is, uh, like, I couldn't have guessed this. And I, I didn't, um, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised by it. They said, we want you or you, the collective you of the, um, you know, infection control, food safety, vet folks to come out to our facilities and assess us. Like, we want you to tell us what we're, what we can do better, which in my experience in the food world, that's not usually the case, right? Like, Every once in a while, you get someone who says, can you come out and help me? But most of the time, people are very much like, hey, we got this under control. We know how to handle this. We've been doing it for a long time. We've never made anybody sick. The full conversation, like if this was like a focus group, the the tone of it was, we don't really know if we're doing a great job. Um, here are the things that we are doing, but please come out and tell us. Please give us some ideas, which is really positive, right? Like that yeah. was really, uh, really, really kind of awesome. Um so, so we're going to do that. We're going to try and figure out a way to, to do that. But where what tipped me off down this road was when you were talking about the poop room, mm. where one of the individuals asked one of the greatest questions that I've ever had in in a talk, which was, all right, so I know I'm supposed to wash my hands. I know I'm supposed to wash my hands after I go to the bathroom because I might get some poop on my fingers. But is the poop on my fingers that I get in the bathroom from my own poop, is that going to get me sick? Which was awesome. It was like, yeah. first of all, no, no one's asked me that, and and the answer is like, no, probably not. You're doing that to protect other people. But but knowing about, like, just just thinking about the perspective there, it's like, why am I washing my hands? Right, right. Like, what? Because because if you can tell me that, maybe I'm more likely to do it. And it was uh, it was kind of a cool. It was a good good little question. Like, no, no, you can you could probably eat all your own poop all you want. Um, you already got the salmonella or the crypto. You're likely not going to reinfect yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, but let's not, let's not spread it to the other people. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's good. And it's, it's nice when, when you get a question that, that is a really good question that you've never, you've never got before. So, um, so I, ha- I have one more bit of listener follow-up, uh, that I, that I want to, which is the last thing I want to talk about. But before I do that, uh, apropos, uh, the poop room, um, there was a wonderful, I, I am a huge fan. Uh, I follow, uh, the Merriam Webster on Twitter and, uh, something that came up recently is on, uh, on the Merriam Webster, the dictionary website, uh, how the toilet got his, got its name. Oh, it, share, yes. it shares a root with the noun toil. And I'll, I'll read to you from the website and we'll link to it. You may be surprised to learn that toilet and the noun toil, meaning snare or trap, as in caught in the toils of love, have a common ancestor. The Middle French word 
toile, T-O-I-L-E, meaning cloth or hunting net. How toil developed from the French word needs no explanation. On the other hand, how toilet as a name for the modern bathroom fixture developed from the word from a word for cloth is a head scratcher. Um, so in the middle French word had uh, cloth had a diminutive form toilette a small piece of cloth, this word became toilet in English and referred to a cloth put over the shoulders while dressing the hair or shaving. And so, so, uh, and so uh, shoulder cloth, uh, uh, toilet came to refer to the cloth covering a dressing table or vanity and then to the articles onto the table and then to the table itself next a more abstract meaning developed as the word was applied to the whole process of washing, grooming, and dressing, especially at the beginning of a day. This, is often, uh, this word is often found in the construction of at one's toilet or to make one's toilet. Um, uh, again, quoting a couple of quotes from the early 1900s. Um, and then washing was extended to the non uh, uh, to the non to the non human animals places tools and such uh, uh, et cetera et cetera so grooming um, uh, uh, you know it sort of goes to to mean grooming and then uh, from there um, uh, you know, our discussion of the word toilet has been clogged with descriptions of grooming and washing. You're probably wondering where, <laughs> wondering when we'll get to how and when the word came to refer to the bathroom toilet, and we'll plunge into that now. Uh-huh. Oh, God. So they, good. They, you know, they love their right. They love words, right? Uh, in the late 18th century, toilet was transferred to the room where the grooming and washing occurred. In America, the room was often one that included facilities for bathing and when the water closet, which was in the 1700s, referred to a room with a fixture for defecation and urination, uh, cable being flushed or the fixture itself was introduced into houses that could afford one, it was typically placed in the bathroom or toilet room. So um, in the late 19th century, toilet was transferred from the room to the fixture itself. So how about that? That's how we got there. Cloth to cloth the fixture. I love, um, I love uh, etymology. It is. It is kind of fun. Uh, I like. Uh, I like finding out where uh, where things come from, uh, like this. And uh, I have no. I don't even have a good joke. It was good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks. And speaking of where things come from, uh, I always want to acknowledge listener feedback. Uh, we had a, a great uh, a great message um, talking about our. Uh, microgreens uh, in an episode uh, a couple of episodes ago, um, and uh, we got a listener who uh, who uh, wants to remain uh, nameless uh, who writes um, uh, links to an episode of this old house um, and there 's an episode of this old house where a guy has a, an elevator and he 's growing microgreens and in the and you if you listen to the microgreens part of the episode. Um, the guy growing microgreens says, yes, we're, we know about pathogens and we use hydrogen peroxide to control the microgreen, the pathogens in the microgreens. Um, and I basically watched the episode. It's, it's rather, it's rather short. It's only, oh, I guess the episode is about, uh, is about 20 minutes, but you get to the, get to the microgreens part, um, uh, um, or the, 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 the hydrogen peroxide part fairly quickly. And what you see is you see the guy um, just take a uh, basically a tablespoon of, of hydrogen peroxide um, and add it to his uh, uh, microgreens operation, his, his little, little uh, place where he's sprouting his seeds. And I, I went and I said, you know, I bet there's data on that. Turns out, man, um, there's <laughs> you a, did the data. Turns out, <laughs> well, we didn't collect the data. We we other people collected the data. Yeah. We we collected all the data. And this is uh, this is a, a paper that I published with uh, my my colleague Rebecca Montville. Um, 
and 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 we'll we'll link uh, to the article. It's table three from that article, and basically what you can see is we we had three uh, three different um, uh, 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 studies or three different uh, concentrations of hydrogen peroxide that were studied. And we looked at uh, 0.2%, 1%, and 8%, and we looked at the effect on E. coli, or we summarized the effect on E. coli, salmonella, and total aerobes. Uh, and it turns out, and, and uh, specifically looking at salmonella, uh, at a hydrogen peroxide level of about 0.2%, which based on – so what I did was I went to uh, – and so the, the guy that's adding the hydrogen peroxide to his, his sprouting environment, he, it basically he's using some hydrogen – I think he says it's, it's organic or something. But anyway, he got some hydrogen peroxide that looks just like the hydrogen peroxide in my, my bathroom cabinet. Um, I looked at the concentration there. I did some very quick mental math about the dilution factor, and I concluded it was probably close to 0.2%, and that will give you less than a half a log reduction of salmonella. And, and according to the published research, about a one log reduction on E. coli, um, you know, that's I'll take, you know, take that with a, with a grain of salt, um, whether it's uh, significantly different or not. Uh, bottom line is you're not getting that much effectiveness and again you if you depending on your sprouting regime you're going to more than make that up if you have uh, if you don't you know drive the concentration uh, below uh, no viable cells in in your volume so with uh, a little bit of listener feedback a little bit of googling a little bit of back of the envelope math um, i concluded that uh, in this particular application that hydrogen peroxide is adding very little value to uh, the 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 nice gentleman who's growing the microgreens in his room um, that uh, that takes an elevator to get there. So lo- lovely, lovely episode of this That's old awesome. house. Um, even even on this old house, apparently um, food safety. So there you go. Yeah, this don't take your food safety. Uh, don't learn your uh, food safety steps from this old house. Learn your you learn, learn your house stuff from this old house. There you go. Oh, good. Well, hey, Don, I think that's a show. I agree. I think that's. Uh, I think we're we're here. We better. Uh, um, I, I gotta go eat some lunch. I, I have. Uh, <laughs> I got some cranberries here. I got some uh, some almonds. I've got a sandwich, uh, and I have some seltzer. I'm like I basically have everything you need to run a podcast. And and thanks to the good folks at the um, uh, Almond Board of California, you know those almonds are have at least a four log reduction. Oh, I know, I know, and uh, I will be eating them with uh, these. These are not these are roasted. These are not the uh, raw almonds that some might uh, think that they're uh, that they're getting. Um, yeah, I will eat them with confidence um, today. So great. All right, Don. Um, so yeah, thanks for uh, listening to Food Safety Talk, everyone out there, and go rate us on iTunes and. Um, tell people when you buy Eero that uh, you heard about it on iTunes or on uh, Food Safety Talk, and uh, and maybe they'll call us up and sponsor sponsor the show or something. Absolutely, and and please uh, please give us uh, listener feedback. We love we love the feedback, um, uh, and most of the time uh, lately we've remembered to actually uh, talk about it on the show. So yay us and yay you. We have yay 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 listeners and yay us for uh, for being for being so awesome. <laughs> Austin, I think is what I just said. Austin, yeah, Austin, Austin. All right, Don, uh, I will, uh, I will talk to you soon. And oh, hey, you're, uh, you got what? You you got uh, surgery coming. So good luck with that. Thanks. 
and uh, hopefully you're you're able to. It doesn't affect your uh, your talking ability uh, too much. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll still be able to do a podcast um, uh, not long after my surgery. Well, that would be that would be awesome. Um, all right, well uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye. You are ne- what is it next uh, next Monday? Yeah. So why don't we? I mean, if you want to try and and just hold like something like the seventh, and if we if we have to push it because you're not feeling good, we can totally do that. Perfect. Does that, does that work? Yep. Can we should we try like ten a.m. Sure. Um. Yeah, that would be awesome. But but no uh, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure, because you might uh, you might not feel good. Yeah, well, I might be on painkillers, and uh, and you know that might. Hopefully, I won't. I won't be taking any painkillers because that'll be more than a week after. But yeah. uh, but you know, it, it might be fun, but it probably won't be good. Right, right. Like the episode we did with bats, where you drank. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was fun, fun, but it might not have been good. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty. It was pretty good. It was good for us. Um, so cool. Okay. Got it. February 7th, 10 a.m. FST number uh, one, uh, 119. 118. Now, what do we got here? This was, this was 118. That's 119. Um, I, yeah, I love, you know, I wear number 19 in hockey. Do you? So, you know, my weird, you know, these weird things. Who knows if any of this means anything, but, but my birthday is on the 19th of April. My dad's birthday is the 19th of June. Jack's birthday is the 19th of September. Whoa. Right? 19's all the way down. 19's all the way down. It's our, uh, it's our lucky number. So, and, and I uh, have adopted wearing the number 19 uh, for, my, for my hockey team. Cool. Just because it was available. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so, cool. Um, how, oh, yeah. So you have this one, right? I do. I think I gave you all the the only ad I had was the uh, uh, oh no I'll t- I'll text you one more the the turtles yes that, yeah because there, there was a, and there was like stuff that you talked about that there really wasn't things to link to but but yeah, yeah. so like I, like on the the science center thing I'll just link to the science center webpage you know, perfect stuff like I that. think there's a link I can find maybe see if I can find the link to the uh, um to the actual video yeah if, if you can that'd be great. I, I didn't want to, I, you know, I, I resist the temptation to do too much searching because then I end up no, searching no, and not listening to what yeah. you're saying, <laughs> which I figure my job in the podcast is to do a little bit of searching, but mostly listen to what you're saying. Right, right. And you should have a clickier keyboard. Click, 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 click. There it is.
Oh, I, I just like put a bunch of letters into a text box for you. <laughs> nice. Thank you. And, and I've stopped, uh, like I'm yeah. not typing on this, so I got, I got it all figured out now. Yeah, it's good. It's, it was way, 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 uh, way better. So we got it. We got it. Um, yeah. Okay. So I sent you that one yeah. and I'll see if I can find the other one. Cool. Uh, cool. Well, have a good, have a good week. Thanks. Um, off to DC tomorrow morning, uh, to go, uh, meet with, uh, uh, FSIS, who also does research, but I don't think they've been told not to do research or talk about it or whatever. Well, that's good. But, well, yeah, hopefully, because that would uh, change things uh, with my plans. Uh, well, cool. All right. I'll uh, talk to you later, Don. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.